we work really hard on to make sure culture is an outcome. It's really easy for me to set my vision um, and it's probably easy for everybody here to set their own vision and try and drive people towards the vision but if it's not our vision then it's non-existent. It's a bit of an awareness thing because sometimes it's an, you don't talk about it because that's the way it is and I think probably the, the way to do it is to actually start talking about it. How do players at the top level in rugby do what they do? And what can young, ambitious players learn from them and their journeys to achieve their own dreams in the game? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Brian Moylet, former Irish age grade international player, now mental performance coach, and welcome to the Offfield Rugby Pod. Today's podcast was recorded about a week ago in Vancouver with a live audience, mainly made up of coaches from across British Columbia. And in the second half of the podcast, I opened questions up to the floor, but the sound wasn't great. So when I was editing back, I just voiced over the questions. Shane Fletcher, my guest, joined us from the Crusaders and he has been there for the past few years. He came with Scott Robertson and has played a key role in developing the winning culture in the organisation. In the podcast, you are going to learn so much. Shane completely pulls back the curtain and shares how they do things in Christchurch. He talks about the focus the Crusaders put on well-being, how they have sustained success season after season, how they help new players settle into the squad, the pillars that the Crusaders select players on, building their culture, helping their players who fall into dark places, the theming they've used over the past six seasons, how to develop leadership and so much more. Make sure you're subscribed or following the podcast wherever you listen and please send this on to some friends. You'll see how valuable this information is and it's unreal getting to hear how the best in the world do it. So here's episode 53 with Shane Fletcher. Dealing with money can be very stressful and especially with everything that's happening in the world right now and stock markets crashing. If you're not an expert, it can be difficult to know what to do. Sparks Wealth is an Irish financial planner and they are experts when it comes to dealing with finances and helping guide you on what's best for your situation. You can book a free call with Will now at Sparks Wealth on their website, sparkswealth.ie. Recently, a family member of mine did just that and was so happy they did so. They said Will guided them through everything in a simple, easy to understand way, no jargon, and it was a brilliant experience. So that's sparkswealth.ie. So tell me about your role at the Crusaders current role is team manager so it's a little bit like being their mum and dad so a lot of that responsibility off field falls with me and yeah basically I look after the well-being of the group and uh, make sure that everybody's okay and set to perform um, across a week and across a campaign and a big part of what I do is support the management group um, to be at their best so uh, alongside the coaching group uh, the medical team mercury group the analysts all of uh, that sort of wider network of support that uh, hover in the background of team performance and yeah, hopefully look ahead and set them up to, to kind of be the best they can. 
and then uh, our structure through the week is something that I oversee and just make sure that um, by the group is set to function and, and perform. Yeah, nice. And what's the Mercury Group? Mercury Group is uh, kind of the medical but strength and conditioning. It's the sports science. It's uh, almost the, the statistical performance group. And uh, it's a blend of a whole lot of uh, people that are experts in their field and uh, really around the, the emotion, emotional well-being, uh, you know, physiological, psychological performance and, and support. Cool. And what goes into, say, like the well-being of a player or like managing that? Well, I think and this is a really interesting one, isn't it? You travel the world and, and look at the secret ingredients of, of rugby and, you know, we're renowned for having consistent success over our existence and basically the well-being component for us is about the whole person it's not just about the rugby athlete so we really take our time to check in on everybody and just make sure that they feel supported in the way that they need to as a unique individual uh, to fit into quite a unique environment of, of success and high performance because again you know put yourself in the shoes of someone coming in it's actually quite a daunting process uh, to come in and, and be seen as part of the legacy and actually have to pick up uh, the mantra of, of continuing success. And that, I think, is probably a, a real strength of ours is the fact that the newest person in we see is, is potentially our best leader. Uh, so we really empower them to lead themselves if they're not yet set to lead others. And as they get better at that, obviously it becomes a little bit more infectious in the group and uh, suddenly it elevates our foundation of performance to another level that everybody's able to get up on and you know to strive for another championship yeah awesome and like you mentioned like the helping people come in and it's like really daunting for any young person usually to go into a new environment and you know there's the legends that have come before the legends that are already in the dressing room and how do you help like someone 18 19 20 year old kid assimilate into the squad? It's a great question and it's interesting that you, you know you just consider it to be the young person entering in. You know, Rene Ranger yeah. came in uh, hugely experienced in All Black in the past. Uh, as he said, he'd never dreamed of an opportunity to come in and spend time with the Crusaders. And, uh, you know, basically we, we, we received him in a way that we would anyone. So it's not that we uh, have a type typical reception for um, age or gender it's just how, how we put the welcome mat out uh, I was talking to George Bauer the other day and he'd just gone through his 50 games and George came in as uh, an injury replacement so realistically we looked around a number of provinces and had a number of options and it just so happened that we'd heard about uh, George as a character and the fact that he was a reasonable rugby player at the time and he said he still remembers me um, picking him up at the airport and the conversation we had uh, about the opportunities that were there and how excited we were um, to have him uh, become a crusader because the moment he walks in the door and invests in us, obviously we're highly invested in him. And that's emotively, not financially. And uh, you know, he said the fact that he came in and just kind of felt part of the DNA initially uh, that it, it just set him underway without apprehension and it just set him up on a level that he just felt welcome. I uh, remember a few years ago when I was involved um, pre-Crusaders with the Canterbury Provincial Group and uh, Matt Simons, uh, so Matt I think still plays for Harlequins, and he talked about the fact that 
Canterbury rugby and Crusaders rugby was quite different in the fact that in other areas that he'd been in, other teams, new people in, were seen to have to earn their stripes before they could contribute. And so there was a sort of suppressive nature of coming in and earning the right to move down the bus to sit in the back seat. And as he said, uh, when he walked through the door, and this still happens, the senior Crusaders, who tend to be the All Blacks, uh, reach out to them and say, hey, look, you know, you're free for a coffee, love to catch up, just to find out about you, not to set the rules. Yeah. And I think, again, you know, from our perspective, that's a normal function, but actually when you have those discussions around the place, it doesn't always happen. Yeah, 100%. And then you mentioned there George Barron like, coming in and... When you're recruiting players or players are coming in, do you look into what type of person they are or kind of their character or that kind of side of things as well as also looking at the highlights tape and seeing what they can do in the field? Um, I think the type of person is a really key thing for us. We have a number of pillars that we look and select on and, and the likes of work ethic is, is one and obviously physical presence or physical potential is another. Um, but the type of person is, is crucial. So really if it came down to it and we had to select between an outstanding athlete who uh, was probably not quite the right person versus a guy that was an outstanding person or uh, you know, uh, not quite the athlete, um, we would believe that we would be able to create uh, the high-performance athlete out of that person. Yeah. Um, because of the fact that, again, it's just around that ability to connect and uh, the conversations I've had with a number of people this week around Crusaders, you know, care is such a key ingredient for us. So if you haven't quite got the ability to care in an osmotic way uh, with the group, uh, then we tend to probably look past you. Yeah, and then with, like, you know, culture is a big word, and what would you do then or how would you help some say if they do step out of line or if people are not living up to the kind of things you've just talked about? Actually, it's a really interesting one, isn't it? Because it's kind of a consequence thing and uh, we don't talk about consequence a lot. It's something that um, we work really hard on to make sure culture is an outcome and uh, I think we had a conversation last night around the fact that it's the reason people talk about our culture is the fact that they see this this thing that's arisen and is performing well, whereas for us it's the day-to-day -day kind of ticking away and day-to-day -day, uh, components of, of each moment through the day and uh, the fact that our guys or our group are really aware of those moments and really aware of the things to do within them. And when it doesn't quite go right, generally the pastoral care of it and the fact that we've got a real awareness of the group, they generally get picked up quite early and uh, almost the, the, the back seat. It's not a, it's not a, a management-driven thing or mm. you know, I don't get involved in that layer and level. Uh, but generally they will sort of get a bit of a wrap around care package and then uh, yeah, support them in that way. Uh, obviously there's a real challenge for some of our guys that get long-term injured and the frustrations of being long-term injured, uh, you know, if they've got a 12-month uh, rehab process, yeah. uh, they go to some dark places. And, uh, you know, we may have, you know, for instance, if, if you were part of that group and long-term injured, we'd set up a team, Brian, and we would make sure that the team meet, um, Brian being a key part of that, uh, and just make sure that, We've got all the, the well-being boxes catered for and not just get hung up on the injury and the rehab of the injury itself. Nice one, yeah. 
And something when you're out here coaching, you mentioned a couple of times the difference between average and world class when you're just going through a few drills. And I just thought it was brilliant for the players and because people who aren't at that level, they look at, say, the Crusaders or All Blacks or whatever. It's just like that's a different stratosphere and it's just completely different. And you're just going through a couple of drills and you're like, that's average, that's world class. What does, say, the training look like in Crusaders and like the standards and those different things? It's a real process-driven environment for us and the fact that uh, we really work at setting elite process. And so our, our, I guess our coaching and our coaching consequence, but also our player empowerment of their own learning uh, is, is quite significant and it focuses on the process aspect. So the ability to be elite is basically setting yourself up to go through a or understand a process right from its initiation, pre-formation, into formation, into function, into completion. And if we're able to break that down and understand all of those areas and then practice each area to make sure that when it flows through uh, that sequence uh, that I actually push through everything and, and complete, the outcome is really consistent. A training at... at um, the Crusaders would look similar to uh, the training set we've had over the last couple of days. Great mindset, uh, people challenging themselves to be better, uh, errors, uh, but not getting hung up on the error and actually withdrawing to the consequence of an error. So, for instance, it was outstanding being in the in the uh, on the sidelines and working around with the different coaches over the last couple of days, and I was hearing outstanding language towards construction of a skill and construction of confidence uh, therefore con construction of success it wasn't the fact you know sometimes you'll stand on sidelines and you'll hear uh, you know try harder don't don't drop it uh, you know and and look at the at the consequence mm. uh, you know or look at the outcome so therefore provide a an of consequence that that kind of suppresses and then you know when you've watched it that poor habit uh, likes of catch where people will just bring the ball to their body because it's a safe way to catch it and will ensure they catch it but that's mm. average in high performance yeah, of so if they continue to catch it away or try to catch it away from their body then obviously they're setting themselves up to be elite and once they start doing it then it's they become available for international selection yeah and it's something that happens a lot um you know coaches are probably all done but saying like no balls down so what what would that ha ever happen or what does that do to players well it, it crushes them a little bit because of the fact that how many how many environments have we had right uh we've dropped the ball right around the posts so all you're doing is reinforcing the dropping of the ball yeah. and then when they get back you get them to do the same drill in the same way and they drop it again right 15 push-ups yeah. uh, and it's all it's doing is reinforcing an, a, a negative consequence to a negative outcome yeah. and so therefore the safe way to operate is uh, to, to um, I guess perform in, in safety and a lot of the times in safety we slow everything right down um, and yes it might have a level of accuracy but under pressure um, it's not functional enough to, to operate at elite level Yeah and so what would say like the Crusaders coaching staff, is it that you know that there needs to be a certain percentage of errors to reach that world class and you just, you have to, you accept that? I don't think we judge it on the errors. We judge it on, as I say, I'll go back to that, that process element and the fact that we'll judge it on if we are seeing 
the sequential element of, of quality, uh, there might be a sub-skill that's letting a certain individual down, and if it's consistent, they will consistently have an outcome that's negative. You know, mm. if somebody's hands are finishing high at the end of the pass and their pass is elevating, then that would be something that the coaching group would pick up. But the level and layer of our athlete is that they would support each other before the coaches probably intercepted it. And then that there's the, the way that they review their footage they would also have picked up the sub-skill and then they come into their self-priming, self-learners or they would seek out uh, support, coaching support or peer support. Nice one. And theming is a big thing I've heard a lot about the Crusaders. I thought you might have. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, talk to me a little bit about that. Um, it's, it's a really interesting one, isn't it? Because I think all of us have a vision and, you know, we, 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 or we have a, a catchphrase or we have a mission statement. And something that uh, the Crusaders have done for a number of years is had uh, a, a theme or, or, or an orientation towards a concept. Um, but what uh, Razor does extremely well, he's, he's a, a highly creative man. You know, like again, I talk about the fact that it, it, this, he's got this energy that makes him quite random. And um, his sort of personality type is you know, a huge amount of ideas. Um, but not great at, at putting structure around them. So the skeleton of vision mm. is outstanding and, and a lot of the rest of us kind of put the meat to the bones. And what um, raises outstanding at is understanding the concept of where we are. And so the example is 2017, we all rolled in as a management group, including Razor as part of the, the head coach element. And we knew that we had not won a title for eight years. And so we associated our basically adventure towards the title, adventure towards success on Muhammad Ali's work towards Rumble in the Jungle. Again, Ali hadn't won a title for eight years. So for our group, it was a relation, uh, a relationship that we're able to set against the concept of another element of, of um, planning and, and a strive towards being successful. And so a lot of our language was set around boxing. And you know, for the guys who are basically you know, 24-7, 365 day athletes uh, in rugby, the All Blacks as well, um, for them to actually have a little bit of freshness to a language but also relate to the intent of rugby language but actually be scripted in a different way was hugely significant. So you know, still parts of our game we jab and still parts of our game we punch. Um, when we wanted to play wide, we played to the ropes. Uh, Ali had a, a real focus on connecting with the people of Africa, and he felt that if he connected with the people, they would give him the energy to perform when it came to performance time. So we put a lot of effort into making sure that we had this massive connection with our our community and the Crusader community. You know, the people who are sitting here are part of the Crusader community. You know, we, we have conversations about um, Crusader land in Crusaderville. So again, that's the community spread. Um, so all of the things sort of came together in 2017 and bizarrely we ended up over in Africa for that final. And, uh, you know, we had a, each week um, we have a, a mindset statement that relates towards the opposition, but it's still relative to uh, the overall vision. And then we've got fantastic analysts who actually probably put together more mindset videos than they do uh, actual stats 
and basically they present um, videos that overlay images of themselves that overlay into into Ali, that overlay into images, that overlay into statements about Ali's performance. And, you know, Rumble in the Jungle was absolutely fascinating around how Ali had such an outstanding plan. He knew he was going to be out bad early rounds. So he had a strategy of basically getting absolutely smoked early but kept his gloves up and, and was just hit, 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 hit. And then as the gloves went down, he was able to attack. So in our mind, it was about the fact that we needed a strategy, we needed an effort to perform. And, uh, you know, McCaw would feed back to us around defence winning championships, Robbie Dean's statement around defence winning championships, all of those sort of things. And it set us up to succeed. And then when we were successful then, our mantra was we were looking to be um, kings of the jungle because of Rumble in the Jungle. And then when we won there, if kings are going to be successful over an era, then they, they go and they reign. And of course it gets a wee bit corny here in the fact that we looked at another sporting entity that had uh, won two titles in a row, and of course the Melbourne Storm, and that fitted into sort of the rain element. And then also conceptually each week we looked at weather and how a storm was, was formed and how the energy came from the storm but also it related outstandingly well to performance because of the fact that when you're in severe weather, if you actually understand the storm, then you're not, you know, uh, the anxiety levels drop away, so your performance and your ability to perform in, in that environment is that much greater. So it was all of those sort of relative things that would happen through, and again, successful that year. And then the next year, to try and find a, a, a examples of three in a row We'd done it once before, and the Blues had done it. Um, so it was a little bit scratching around to find who uh, had been successful three titles in a row, done a three-peat. And uh, we then uh, worked on the individual efforts in a campaign to win three in a row. So Usain Bolt with his three Olympic dominance, mm. uh, sequential. And then Golden State Warriors at that time were going for their third title in a row. And of course, that was where we were able to base um, the group performance ethic. And again, a lot of things dripped from that. Challenge was at the end of the year, the Golden State Warriors were knocked out of the playoffs before we had finished. So we very quickly focused on Usain Bolt and uh, <laughs> it captured us, thankfully. And then again, went on and, and, and won that. But then when we went to the fourth title, of course, it was in an area where uh, no... Um, professional rugby group that we could find had won four titles in a row and uh, you know all of a sudden we were in search of a holy grail and it, and it meant that we actually had to explore the why why would we win four titles in a row I think we talked about the fact that once you win in a sequentially sometimes you give yourself the right to have a break because you've earned the right whereas what we were wanting to do was earn the right to go where no had gone before so a lot of what we looked at was the efforts to do firsts. And uh, I don't know, you know if you've seen the Free Solo um, documentary, um, uh, Climbing El Capitan, and, and the focus, I think it was Hammond, is it? Or that uh, was on the wall. And he knew that there was two areas there that uh, basically if he missed that hold, that was him done. He was you know dropping thousands of feet. And as we would correlate that type of performance to us taking risks, and if you understood the risk and understood the pressure, 
it's a fascinating question, isn't it? Is the fact that does that release the pressure and make it non-existent, or is the pressure still there but you understand it so you're able to perform under it? And of course, those sort of things, even when you put it into context of everybody here in in the room, you just think, well, that's quite fascinating, and it gets you to dig that little bit deeper in your orientation of performance. And so again, we went through a whole lot of things, you know, running running the first sub hour to a sub two hour marathon, the planning and understanding of every step. Um, every step was important, and every every moment for us is important. So all of that correlation, you know, as I say, sounds a bit corny, but it just binds and blends. And of course, we won the the four in a row. I hope I'm not boring people. And then I, we we went into the fifth title, and we talked about, uh, and and this is something that one of the groups did. Um, with us and, and they uh, set their values and we talked about the fact that actually we were going into an environment where we wanted to be known as a master a, a group of master craftsmen and in the history states that you could a lot of craftspeople have existed but if they were able to leave a legacy they were deemed a master craftsperson or a master craftsman in our case and so what we wanted to do was actually set our trademark so we explored deeper and deeper as to what legacy we wanted to leave as a group and our legacy again was was we were striving to care um, more deeply and we were striving to actually perform acknowledge and perform under pressure and if we could get pressure and care in the correct states in our environments then obviously it sets us up to be successful and and we set a trademark against uh, what we wanted to do and and we explored the trademark. We didn't just let it be words. It was actually kind of in a depth. And then, uh, yeah, we were successful then. And then this year, it was as simple as, as uh, stepping up in uh, a whole number of things. And, of course, there was a lot of iconography that was associated with that, a lot of our terminology associated with that. Um, but really, our underlying elements were pressure and care. So, it's a, it's a, it, as I say, it, it, there was a number of examples in that. Um, but really, it's set around giving us uh, real direction to a vision and not just saying, right, guys, let's roll up the sleeves, we're going for seven in a row. We're already talking what our um, next year's theme is, and I can't really let that out. So, um, But each each week, um, you know, this, this year we uh, talked about using our sixth sense, and uh, that was part of, you know, again, something within us that was unique, and if we used that wisely, it would set us up. So... Uh, I had a, a piece of punamu, which is a New Zealand greenstone, and it was carved, and it was this beautiful set. But we kept it in a box because it was hidden, and that was our Sixth Sense Award. And each week, the players voted for somebody who had used special effort on the field, so the player voted sort of player of, of the day and player of the year. And then on the other side of it, we had a, 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 um, a presentation that was set against effort. So uh, they basically yeah, voted voted for that, and it was stepping up. And I'd gone and bought this corny wooden ladder, and then each week I got a, a plaque made up that had um, our tohu and name and, and date, etc. And each step um, we set up, so we were stepping up each week with winners, and then had the final set. So as I say, it all sounds quite corny, um, but it just really connects the group. Nice one. And if you were to come over to BC and you're head coach of a, a team here in BC, theming is something that I think everyone, different sports the world over, talk about now. What would what would your first 
things you do be if you were to yeah, get a new job as a coach? Here? First thing is, is basically to understand the environment and the group um, because of the fact that it's really easy for me to set my vision um, and it's probably easy for everybody here to set their own vision and try and drive people towards the vision. But if it's not our vision, then it's non-existent. It's not actually a vision for the group. So the first thing that I would do is just make sure that uh, the connections were there and it was authentic connection. It wasn't just a quick scan of the environment and you know there'd be a little bit of a, a, a search for a bit of depth to it and then have a lot of conversations around uh, what, what, what context we're in and then uh, look at the concept that's relative to that. So here are the questions from the audience. The microphone at the time didn't pick them up so well so I'll just ask them here. First one is, you talk about culture and connection. From watching us here, would you say we're doing that well or are we looking too much at the outcome? Great question. And uh, it's really interesting, isn't it, in the fact that what I've experienced over the last two days is a huge amount of care, a f- huge amount of selflessness, a uh, huge, huge amount of... of um, passion for what you do, but the reason that you're doing it, it is investment in others. So that's culture in itself. And realistically, in our raw form, that's that's the way the Crusaders exist. It's just the fact that we're able to win. We're in a competition, uh, and we perform against groups that are quite elite. Uh, it's just so happens that that we're in that, so we're able to be judged through through title. And realistically, as I say, there, there's potentially teams, Crusader teams in the past that haven't won titles that have been more successful in their operation over a year than than the group that we're currently with is. Uh, as I say, sometimes for us, we haven't lost more than two games in a row over the six years. Um, we also had another challenge for us in uh, our performance around our forwards went 90 games without giving away a mall try. And other teams knew that, so they always had a go at us. But it was a mantra that we held on to, and we set a we sub-theme against it. Uh, and when that got broken, penalty try against the Waratahs, that could have allowed us to break it away and, and basically give up on that. But what our guys did was basically almost a reset, and it, and it just basically sort of stopped things. But the other thing I was, I was talking to John about on the way home yesterday was um, you know, talk about culture and how it fits and sits is you know we 2011 uh, Christchurch earthquakes 165 people killed uh, you know people we knew um, went around our stadium was destroyed so the, basically the Crusaders went on a world adventure you know they played one game uh, at Twickenham against the Sharks went around and got beaten in the final to a tough old call right at the end of the game. Uh, and But seen as saviours, seen as this community saviour, this, you know, New Zealand held us on high for that. Then um, March 15th, 2019, uh, I was saying to John, I was standing at the counter waiting for the boys to arrive. On the phone pops up, shots heard in Christchurch. And then basically as it ebbed through uh, you know, more and more came out. Um, got on the plane, sitting beside Tim Bateman. Uh, he picked his phone up and his daughter's under the desk at school. They're in lockdown, and we went, uh, flew out, and the boys were all going, "Hold on, what the hell's going on?" 
uh, we flew, arrived in Dunedin and found 50 people had been shot. And it was bizarre. We're such a small community, as you know. Uh, I think some of the boys, if they'd, just as they were leaving home, may have heard the shots from their homes. They were that close to where the mosque was. So all of a sudden, uh, the whole wording and everything came out, or this oration came out, that the, uh, the gunman had crusader written on his stock. Whether it's true or not, I don't know. But of course, social media picked up on this, and straight away, they all, well, not all, but a real, really big component came at us as we were supporting the gunman, because we were called crusaders, so we should change our name and change our iconography and everything like that. And, and we did change the iconography. Um, but what it did was actually challenge our core because it meant that we truly had to reflect on whether or not we were authentic and on a crusade to represent a crusade to be better, a crusade you know, t to basically add value and care and all of those components. So again, you know, we've had our cage shaken significantly and hope that now we've gone through it, people have got this authentic understanding of actually they're a, a group that a lot of us would like to be associated with and have a similar culture to, um, but they hold us on a little bit of a, a mantra above themselves and they shouldn't. We're just kind of general Joe Public, so. Could you talk a little bit about the system in New Zealand that builds elite rugby from the grassroots to the top level? It's a great question and it's a bit of a tough one to put out there because of the fact that our rugby is, is born in, on the lawns and in living rooms. Uh, they, they aren't really brewed at the rugby clubs or at the schools. You know, our families, it's so endemic in New Zealand that it's really hard to say this is what needs to be done here. Um, we've got a sequential performance environment that's actually getting younger and we've got challenges with that because of the fact that you know with professional sport here how there's an orientation that if I'm not going to be a professional athlete then I'll actually do something else and rugby starting that's starting to etch into New Zealand rugby and the fact that there's a number of drop-offs after the high school factor when um, players are just going well I'm not going to be a professional athlete and I'm just not sure that our, our connections at club level are still there uh, and it, it, it's a little bit endemic around the influence of there's so many other things to do. You know, the social society that we're in is quite different to when a lot of us were playing the game. And of course, we try and attach a lot of our performance to that outstanding community um, heartbeat that rugby clubs were and still are to a certain extent. So again, around the systems, I think you know everything I've seen over here. It just needs to be built upon having conversations with all the people. The ideas that are, are set around the growth of the game are really relevant, uh, really important. It's just, uh, I guess, you've got to keep trying to connect people to the game and empower people to stay in the game. And for us, as I say, the fact that it's so a part of of the furniture, uh, we have more capable volunteers I guess and it doesn't just fall to those that have been in the game for a period of time or have got a true love of the game here or who have uh, immigrated in um, and, and picked up positions that other people haven't stepped into. So I don't think there's a magic ingredient, I think it's you know encouraging everyone that you know is in this room to keep doing what they're doing and and keep getting shoulder to shoulder, keep talking to people about the love of the game and and about the connection of the game, not about 
uh, the performance of the game. And I think um, you know we'll, we'll stay where we are, if not improve. But I think if we still focus on success being whether you get paid to play uh, or not, then uh, we're going to continue to see that drop off. How do you continue to innovate at the Crusaders? It's a great question, isn't it? You know, Sam Whitelock, 134th cap tonight, and uh, he's played 174 Crusader games, and he still bounces in as fresh as anything and wants to contribute. So again, how do you do that? It's probably a, a great question. You know, from our perspective, is the fact that what we, uh, we we don't have a deliberate act in it because of the fact that it's not just about the old player, it's about everybody wanting to be in there and everybody to be part of a functional family. And I think we've already talked about that care side of things here with Brian around uh, a sense of belonging and uh, it needs to be an authentic belonging. You're not just told um, or it doesn't, we don't have words that come on in and you all belong. It's actually a really unexplained something that happens at Rugby Park. And the innovation comes from that sense of belonging. The fact that everybody wants to contribute and make uh, themselves better, but the reason that they're making themselves better is they know the person beside them is working that hard. But where it makes it a little bit unique for us or makes it successful for us is the reason that I'm doing trying to be better is the person beside me is trying to be better because they want to help me. So there's this random thread of of, of um, again, care around that innovation. And rugby, as you all know, is quite a simple game. Um, it's around similar pictures and on the field to try and uh, break groups down. But um, I think our greatest success has come off the field. And, you know, we spend a lot of time in playoff time and, you know, we've had successful playoff particularly recently in sequence and a lot of it is let's declutter the rugby side of it and make sure that we all feel uh, that true bond of performance Um, and I think if you're going to ask about being innovative you may have to ask Brian that because the Irish played the All Blacks tonight and you know you think about who's who's made the most improvements in the last five years and uh, very much them and that's where you know that's a great question because I've I've mulled on it over the last couple of weeks as, as we were talking when we won the first test, the All Blacks were at the top of their game. We lose the next week in a bizarre setting and New Zealand rugby and world rugby to a certain extent probably hoping that we're crumbling a bit. New Zealand rugby aren't hoping but they're saying it's a disaster. Um, and so therefore it's going to challenge our innovation because of the fact that uh, the awareness of how the game functions on the field is so much more common now because we've got such sharp eyes and such informed eyes right across the board. So it'd be a fascinating watch. If you find out, you let me know and I'll let you know. Yeah. What are your thoughts on dual sport athletes? At what age would you tell somebody to commit to rugby? Again, you know, it's it's almost the unanswerable question because of the fact that I love the fact that you play multi-sport because of the fact that you have multi-experience and it's not just the skill experience, it's its the emotive experience as well. Uh, you get a chance to connect with a different group, it's not you get a chance to perform with a different group, because some are more capable that, than others, and when you get, you know, 
we've had history of, of you know Jeff Wilson played cricket for New Zealand and then goes play, plays basketball for New Zealand goes plays rugby for New Zealand extremely unique but I don't think it was the fact that basketball helped his rugby or helped his cricket it was the fact that actually he was just someone that uh, was highly talented in those areas but I would imagine that you would have a huge amount of, of um, data on a study of uh, kind of cross-code and cross-performing athletes around how they establish their initial skills of high performance. Uh, and then around the age factor, it's, it's, it's sad, isn't it, that they've actually got to commit to one or the other. And when you say, what is the age, a lot of the times it's when they're told to, but is that the right time? I'm not sure. And sometimes... We were talking before about uh, some of our top players wanting to play club rugby at home and then being told, well, you can't in case you injure yourself. And we're going, well, hold on a sec, isn't that uh, you know, detrimental to the game, not just to the athlete, but detrimental to the game that we're holding them back on a, a supposition versus the fact that actually let's get those guys to play and then... You know, Sonny Bill Williams played for Belfast and I think they had something like 14,000 watching their game. Whereas now you go down to Belfast and about 14 watch their game. So it's a true pity that it's not encouraged. It's the professional environments tend to suppress that opportunity. So, yeah, as I say, it's a little bit unanswerable. Um, but my, my personal uh, preference is that they are multi-code uh, enjoy just participating. I'm not going to say enjoy going out and winning because com competition's very much in us all and we want to be successful, but for them, success might just be the fact that they're part of a team and that let's celebrate those sort of things. Some people don't get that chance. And then age-wise, as I say, just keep telling others to give them time, allow them to, to blossom and grow. You talked about a culture where new players have to earn their stripes. If you came into one of those environments, how would you go about changing it? That's a great question too, isn't it? And the fact is, it's a bit of an awareness thing because sometimes it's an, you don't talk about it because that's the way it is. And I think probably the the way to do it is to actually start talking about it. Uh, I was saying to John that I had a visit to... Uh, Santos Military Academy when I was went over to the UK and just rather than look at rugby environments and try and compare ourselves to a rugby environment I was fascinated with leadership and culture and a number of facets and going there as we talked about the fact that actually you get into a hierarchical structure of authority that's deemed to be leadership so you know you get captains coaches um presidents of your club or CEOs or whatever they might be and they're deemed to be your leader and they're deemed to provide leadership. And that's where my challenge to our group was around, well, hold on a minute, why don't we encourage the leadership element of the newest person coming in? So really it's around somehow being able to put it all on the table because there'll be so many good bits in it, but if that's one of those environments that you just need to address it, then it needs to be put on the table and then you pick up the great bits that of what's on the table and brush the bits you don't need off to the side, you may not quite be able to put them in the bin because there'll be people that aren't prepared to put them in the bin just yet. But the fact they're on the table and it's okay to have them there, I think that's the greatest start and then you just edge your way forward from there because of the fact that it's it's corrosive. With them, um, you mentioned there 
and about uh, helping like leadership and and that I think often as coaches a challenge is uh, you go into a team and there isn't enough leadership now you probably you don't have that problem right now in the Crusaders but maybe there's been a time in the past where you're like we need more leadership out of the players or have you ever had that or how would you help kind of grow leaders within a group yeah see that my, my response to that is what is leadership and for some it would be it's that person that's out the front that gives us true direction and I'd say well what about that person in the background that actually is doing the things that are unseen uh, but people don't even notice them and yet they're providing significant leadership and the people that are beside each other who aren't necessarily the most vocal but they lead through effort they lead through aspiration inspiration perspiration irritation <laughs> you know just going on a bit of a flow there um, but it was you know all of those things that I think the problem is we get hung up on that leader component of leadership and it's almost leadership needs to be this visual thing but if you've got true leadership across your group it can come in so many forms and variations and and uh, levels of effect or noticeable effect so I think it was more about exploring the concept of leadership and make sure it's ingrained through your group not just rely on someone to lead because when pressure comes on and you've got a leader who's directive and set what do the rest of us do we step back and we don't lead because it's their responsibility so why why do that it declutters and depowers um, our ability to perform Alex Ferguson talked about like the exactly that I don't know what word he used but it was the yeah it's the unseen not unseen but yeah something around that in, in United and how important that was in those teams it's like you had Roy Keane who was the one person but it was he, he just mentioned it in one of the books just about all that other all those other people and mm. how they led in different ways and what they added to the and I suppose it's maybe a challenge for us as coaches is to look look for those things versus say oh no one's shout no one's standing up talking so much you know, it's to try and find those other things and then nurture that and encourage it as well. Like maybe you see someone doing those little things and encourage them, let them know that you see them doing those things mm. so that they can lean into that. Sam Whitelock's a big advocate of it as well and the fact that uh, if we've got presentations, for instance, on behalf of the group, uh, as much as Sam is probably our, he's our komatoa, he's, he's our old wise, wise one that, kind of sits alone and sits above everybody in you know virtual state yeah. but he'd hate to think that he would because he just does not want to be that person so he makes sure that actually no we don't give it to who might be one of our um, more directive leaders a Cody Taylor or something like that as a vice captain he would go to a Fletcher Newell and say actually Fletcher it'd be great for your growth to speak on behalf of the group and what you'll find is Fletcher Newell would speak brilliantly because he's got the opportunity. Whereas in all other groups that we were talking about, Fletcher Newell you'd never hear from because of the fact that, mate, you're not one of the leaders, so you just step to the side. Um, I was just thinking then, you know, Owen Eastwood wrote his book Belonging and there's a lot of elements in there around cultural Māori culture and, and that are relative and, and, you know, it'll be the same in, in the Canadian culture. Uh, I, I did a wee presentation to some um, people in Wales and, of course, sec Welsh second language. And uh, I asked uh, for some translation from the Welsh and, and they had a word for know, whether it was leadership or excellence and they said, there's this word, but it doesn't quite translate. It kind of means a little bit more. And I said, how cool is that in your culture when you've got these different 
descriptors or different terms or anything like that, but it actually means more in a deeper sense than kind of a, a label. And uh, it, it's like that, you know, in the Maori culture. And and um, you know, again, as I say, it'll be like that locally, I'm sure. During COVID, I heard you met with Leinster. What did you learn from them? I think it was a two-wayer, and it's really interesting in the fact that that was just one of the examples of the huge connections that we have. Uh, you know, BC Rugby and Crusaders are connected now, and we've already had conversations about you know reaching out, just reach out, we you know just to say how, how you doing, and then it's also actually we've got something's happening, and you know if, if, what what might you guys do, or what are your thoughts on it? Because it's not. I'm not going to come back or Crusaders are not going to come back and say this is what you should do because then you'll be like us because I hope you don't want to be like us because you're unique you and I think with Leinster all it is is uh, some outstanding rugby minds getting together and talking about rugby things and our analysts have got connections all over the world in all number of sports and they share innovation, share ideas, share ways that the game's played, share ways that the game uh, is excited in their groups, share ways, you know, any any number of components, but it's just a sharing sharing and caring model. So that, you know, the things that we got from Leinster were uh, understanding ethic, um, some game structural stuff, game philosophy stuff, all the things that, again, we could all put on the table and we can grab the bits that suit us and put them and then there's some Leinster stuff that we do just tuck away because it's not suitable to us. So, yeah, great awareness. But as I say, the conversations that you have over a quiet nine or ten beers tonight, um, you know, that they will be as empowering as the conversations that we have across the globe. It's just, are you prepared to invest in the conversation? Cheers for listening today. Would you please take 10 seconds and leave a rating and a review wherever you listen to the podcast? Just saying what you like about the podcast would really appreciate that and make sure you are following also. I loved when Shane talked about helping new players integrate into the squad and feel welcome, and I'm sure you're aware about that old school kind of mindset of players having to earn their stripes and kind of been treated shitty and it just doesn't work when I work with coaching groups on how they can get the best out of their players develop a culture and win trophies something that's at the very top and just most important to to get through is that creating a psychologically safe environment is one of the very first steps because that's what Shane talked about there creating that safe environment for new players but it's also for existing players as well and when you can create that environment where players feel safe safe to express themselves they can do just that and they can play without fear and play without constantly thinking about what are the repercussions going to be oh if I make a mistake the coach is going to scream at me oh if I do this wrong then all the other players are going to start shouting at me and these when I work with players this is literally the most common thing that holds them back from being their best selves and the flow state or some people know it as being in the zone that is when you play in a state of no mind essentially when 
You're not overthinking things. You're not thinking about outcomes. You're not worrying about repercussions. You are simply present and just playing. And that's when you're in the zone. And you can only do that, or it's certainly easiest to do so when you are in a psychologically safe environment where you feel you can express yourself and you don't have to worry about the coach shouting at you from the sideline when the ball gets knocked on or when you make a mistake your teammates not screaming at you and shouting at you and yeah it's just something that yeah when I'm chatting with coaches I, I know it from when I work with players it's you know I'm afraid to make a mistake so I'm afraid oh I'm afraid of doing this I'm, when I make a mistake you know this happens that happens and all the coach shouts at us and yeah so it's just something for coaches it's really step number one and things sometimes coaches we kind of think about all these strategies tactics all this stuff but if you can simply create an environment that allows enables your players to express themselves fully then the performances on the field are going to go up so much by just working on that one aspect I learned so much more in this podcast as well I'm sure you did too would you please send the podcast on to some friends would greatly appreciate that I'm sure they would as well if you want to learn more about the mental side of the game and how you can be your best self I do an extra podcast once a week and you can get access to this on the Patreon the link is in the show notes and you want to sign up to the first 15 tier From there, you'll get access to the extra podcasts. And also, I answer any questions that you have. Thanks, Emil, for clicking in today. Really appreciate it, as always. Cheers.